to think that so many men have never opened up or shared their shame or been vulnerable or shared their insecurities to anyone. It's yeah. crazy to think that. And as I get, as I started to do this work, you know, in the last seven years now, and typically, and like three years ago, when I, when the book came out and it was kind of a crazy time when the book came out, I wasn't timing this, but like me too came out right in the middle of it. And then, yeah. you know, Charlottesville and like the marching with the torches and all this. And I was just like, what is going on in the world? And it was also like the Vegas shooting. And there's so many different shootings happening in America. Yeah. And I was like, huh, the common thread of all these anger acts that are happening in, in the country that I was witnessing and the world where men were leading the charge. It was like angry men. And I was just could I could see it from a different perspective because I could see myself being angry a lot when I was triggered in high school, college, or in my late 20s. Like I was always a loving, positive guy until I was triggered by someone where it was typically where I felt like someone was taking advantage of me. And I didn't even know why I was so triggered, but it was like if someone cut me off in a street, I remember someone cut me off. This is literally crazy to see this story. <laughs> Someone was running in front of me like I, I stopped at a stop sign and then someone ran in front of me and hit my car and like kind of cut me off. He was like running by and he punched the car. I literally chased after him in my car then got out and started running because I was such a reactive mind. And I was like, this person is taking advantage of me. They're abusing my car and therefore abusing me. Yeah. And through childhood traumas of just like feeling taken advantage of and abused all the time, I was so wired to never let that happen again. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. I'm so glad that you have joined us. My name is Ashanti Branch. I'm the host. And today I get to tell you about a podcast that I'm really excited about. Lewis Howes is an entrepreneur. He's a, a New York Times bestselling author of the School of Greatness. Um, he was noted by the White House and uh, President Obama as one of the top entrepreneurs in the country, top 100, who are under 30 years old. Just amazing work. Um, but even more so than the, the resume, because in our conversation, we didn't talk about any of that. We mostly talked about masks. He wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity. And in that book, it has talked about men and the masks that men wear that get in our way of building deep, authentic connection. I'll tell you what the masks are. Uh, the stoic mask, the athlete mask, the material mask, the sexual mask, the aggression mask, the joker mask, the invincible mask, the know-it-all mask, and the alpha mask. And this book just breaks those down into these categories uh, that when I read it, I was like, I need to meet him one day. And this summer, we had our Social Emotional Leadership Academy and our young men reached out as we were kicking off the podcast. And he and his team uh, agreed to be on the podcast. And so, uh, you know, it, it, because this podcast is called Taking Off the Mask, I'm going to start as I'm going to do in the conversation with him. Uh, it was a rough start. This interview was a month, a couple of months ago. Um, but what has happened since that time, you can imagine, just in a world of new and different, uh, we have had lots of excitement happening in Ever Forward. Uh, two days after I took my test for COVID-19 is when I had the interview. 
Um, the only reason I went to take the test is because the doctor said, maybe you should get you tested for this. And I was like, me? Why? I'm, I don't have COVID. I'm, I'm, I wear a mask everywhere. But I knew that something was going on. Like I was weak, had no energy. I was, I was spinning a lot at times. And, um, and so I, the interview was scheduled. Even though I was feeling not well, I was like, I'm not canceling this interview. You get an opportunity, you got to take advantage of it. Like you don't miss an opportunity like this to interview someone who is so busy like that. So I, I kept the date and I sat here at this table. This is where I did the interview. And I literally was keeping myself up, like holding on to the table for most of the interview, trying to just be present. Um, but, you know, uh, Lewis is a professional interviewer um, and he really helped the interview go really well. And um, when I when I finished the conversation, I just fell on the floor right here and just said, oh, I finished. And I caught my breath and just tried to rest and let my mind just kind of spin because I was spinning a lot. Uh, but in this conversation, you're going to hear him talk about some of his personal story. You hear us both share our masks and the things that uh, that are in common between us. Like If you look at us, you would say there's not much in common except we're both in these male bodies. But when you listen and think about the stuff that goes on in our lives behind the mask, there was so much we have in common. And that's what we want everyone to know, that we have so much more in common than we ever think because we let our eyes fool us. And so... Uh, one of the other taking off the mask moments is <laughs> once the interview was over, I realized that um, somehow uh, the video that we were taking only videoed him. So luckily I have the guest video, but there's no video of me in the video. You'll hear my voice. Um, but it was an absolute pleasure to be in the conversation with him to talk about these topics that are really dear and near to Ever Forward's heart and my heart. And so I hope you enjoy Thank you for listening. And if you are looking to make a mask, you know you can do that always at www.100kmasks.com. We invite you to go and make a mask today. It's anonymous. And we hope that you will share it with someone else to give them more permission to feel and to be more of their full, authentic selves. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you soon. Enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome, uh, Lewis Howes, to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. I am so honored to be here with you. I've been uh, such a huge fan for from the School of Greatness. And when you wrote the, the Mask of Masculinity, which not only blew my mind and a lot of the young people we work with, I have been just uh, such a um, thankful for the for you uh, opening your heart to that thanks, work. Man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, we uh, started this podcast to really just uh, talk about taking off the mask, but it's an opportunity. You know, we, we try and keep it really easy and light, um, an opportunity for people to talk about them, themselves and us, each other and knowing that as, as men in this work and uh, that we, as you wrote in the book, but there's these masks that we feel we have been forced to wear. Mm -hmm. And how do we get to a place where we can take them off or we can say, you know, I, 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 if I build a deeper connection with somebody, I'm, it's going to take me, require me to be a little bit, maybe vulnerable, maybe yeah. more deep, yeah. And so before we start, I think I would love to have you tell about, you know, just a little bit about yourself, about, so for our, you know, young people in our work who sure. may have met you, like, just tell them about yourself and then and we can jump in. Yeah, I was, uh, I was as typical as Ohio boy as it gets, probably. I went to, you know, I grew up in a small town in the middle of Ohio. Um went uh, through elementary school and middle school, and then actually went to a private boarding school in eighth grade in St. Louis, Missouri. But really those 
early years kind of shaped me from, you know, I was, I was sexually abused as a kid when I was five at the babysitters. So I would go to kindergarten and then after school, I would go to the babysitters because my dad was working every day late. My mom was working to try to make money to provide for us four kids. And so they were both working till five, seven, eight, whatever. So my mom wasn't around. And so I'd go to the babysitters and there was probably after a few months of being at the babysitters, I was, I was sexually abused one time and I didn't tell anyone for 25 years. I just kind of held the secret inside. I was shameful. I felt guilty. I didn't know what was happening really at five. I was just kind of like, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. And then many other things kind of shaped my, my inner world and my beliefs. My brother, when I was eight, he went to prison. He got caught up in the uh, selling drugs to an undercover cop when he was 18. And uh, he was sentenced to jail for six to 25 years. Because during that time, it was the eight, late 80s, early 90s. It was uh, the war on drugs was big and they were pushing like anyone in any type of drugs, you're going to jail. So his first offense, uh, he went sentenced six to 25 years. And I remember we would go visit him almost every weekend. And so from eight to 12, my brother was locked up and I wasn't really allowed to have friends because in a small suburban neighborhood, in a town of Delaware, Ohio, like you just, the other parents, everyone knew my brother went to jail, right? So the parents were like, okay, well, if his older brother went to jail, we can't let our younger kids like hang out with Lewis, right? Because we're assuming that he's going to be bad and this and that. And so I remember feeling very alone a lot my childhood. I was also struggling immensely in school. Uh, you know, being dyslexic and just having learning challenges. It was just hard for me to open up a big textbook and assimilate the information, learn, memorize things. I just didn't have that skill set in that format of traditional school. And so I took a lot of my frustrations of being kind of picked on and from school to um, just feeling like I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I was born. I think like a questions a lot of young men have is like, why am I here? What's the reason? Why are kids p- picking on me? My parents were also going through challenges. They got divorced. You know, so it's just like things that a lot of us face. I was it wasn't anything unique to me. It was just like, man, but I felt a a deep sense of loneliness and insecurity my entire childhood. I was the youngest of four and my older siblings really didn't hang out with me. They were kind of older and they were doing their thing. So it was just me alone. I felt like a lot to my thoughts and to my frustrations. And I started to develop masks. I started to wear masks to fit in. I was just like, okay, no one likes me. No one thinks I'm smart. Uh, no one's hanging out with me. And I remember there was a very pivotal moment for me in, in elementary school, fourth grade. We went into recess after one of the classes in fourth grade. And I remember the the teacher separated, uh, had two, two of the kids in our class to pick uh, to be captains for a dodgeball game, right? And so they're going to pick one by one other students in the class. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know, I'm nine or 10 at the time and I'm a taller, I'm a taller person in the class. I'm like, I'm pretty athletic. Like, yeah. you know, they're going to pick me first. This is like my mind. <laughs> and so there's two, two boys that are the captains that pick on the team and they pick one kid at a time, all the boys in the class. And then I'm the last boy And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to pick me. And I'm already like kind of sad that I'm the last boy, but they don't pick me. They go pick a girl next. 
And then they pick another girl and another girl until they pick all the boys and all the girls and there's me left. And I remember thinking to myself, and they didn't even pick me. I was just like the last one by default to go on that team. And I remember being like, man, this is how these kids view me. And this is how my classmates view me as less than a, a boy, less than a girl, like not even worthy of being picked on a, a stupid little playground you know, game. <laughs> but those moments define us or they shape our mindset of like how we want to show up in the world. And I remember being really hurt and angry and anger became a part of my makeup after that because i was like never again will i get picked last on uh you know whatever and that's when i threw myself into sports like every day after school i was at the playground playing basketball whatever sport i could play i was training to never have that feeling again and these and so I became all obsessed with sports because I wasn't good in school. Let me throw myself into sports, and winning became a necessity to develop self worth, to develop my confidence, to get people to like me. And I kept thinking back to that time in fourth grade. Okay, if I'm if I'm not good, then I'm going to get picked last. I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to be alone. No one's going to love me. What's the point of being here? I might as well just kill myself. Like just going down that rabbit hole. And um, so I just built myself into becoming the greatest athlete I could become and becoming the most dominant, aggressive player in football, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be. I was just like, I need to win because winning equaled value and self-worth. And this was a big challenge because I went on to you know, be a two-sport All-American in college. I went on to play arena football, trying to make the NFL. It wasn't good enough, but still went after my dreams. And then when the, I got injured playing football, um, my identity was over. You know, I didn't have the, my whole identity was wrapped around winning sports competition. And for two, three years, I couldn't really work out even. So it was quickly like, well, who am I? If my identity is tied to winning competition and being this athlete, this jock guy, yeah, what am I supposed to do with my life now? And it was a it was a challenging transition to figuring out who I am in my late 20s. And and when I turned 30, that's the time when I finally opened up about my trauma of the past from sexual abuse. And I never saw I don't know if you ever saw this growing up, but I never saw role models or athletes or men that I looked up to or were inspired by talking about their trauma. I never saw them on the media or at an article or at a video or an interview say I was sexually abused or I was this, or I experienced this uh, loneliness or whatever it may be, yeah. you know, what, some type of shame. Well, I, I didn't really see men talking about their shame. My shame was that no one knew I was sexually abused. And I remember in high school, you know, my, my freshman, sophomore year, I was playing in the varsity teams because I was a better athlete at that time. And I remember I just wanted my teammates to like, like me and want to hang out as friends too. So I was a very affectionate young boy in the sense of like, not sexual affectionate, but more of just like, I would put my arm around my buddies. I would just like want to high five them. Just like, I just like to, you know, put my, be affectionate with my brothers. Yeah. And anytime I'd put my arm around a buddy, they'd push me off and be like, don't be a girl. Don't be gay. Don't be this. Don't be that. And it made me, made me feel wrong for caring about my brothers. And um, 
And that's just like how we were shaped as young boys growing up in the Midwest, that mentality of like, it's not cool to be affectionate. It's not cool to say how you feel. It's not cool because then you're weak or you're less than. And so I naturally developed a mask to fit in, to want to belong in a group of friends, to have people that I can connect with. And um, when I finally opened up about sexual abuse, I was terrified because I still, at 30 years old, I still hadn't seen anyone talking about it. I still hadn't <laughs> yeah. seen, I think there was like a, a special on Oprah or something where men opened up, but I didn't really see like strong athletes, men that looked like me, kind of the jock mentality of like, you know, hard-nosed people opening up and being vulnerable. And so I remember when I, when I opened up about it in a workshop, it was like a private workshop I opened up about it first. I was terrified. When I opened up about it, I like ran out of the room. I was just like, I don't want to go back in there. They're not going to, they're going to look at me differently. They're going to make fun of me, but it was the opposite. You know, the men in the room came up to me and were in tears because a lot of them had experienced their own type of trauma that they'd never shared. And I started to think about, wow, like, I guess I'm not the only person in the world who's experienced something like this. And a lot of men experience a lot worse than me. You know, it was only one time for me where I was sexually abused, where a lot of men experienced it for years over and over and um, never dealt with it. And that's when I went on a journey of being, of researching, you know, one in six, one in six boys sexually abused, obviously it's more one in four for women. And um, I just started to research every therapy method, every type of information I could on, wow, men are really struggling internally with their emotions. And to make a long story short, after I wrote The Mask of Masculinity, because I felt like I had a, a duty and a responsibility to create content around this because of the peace that it brought me as I started to heal, the peace that it brought me, the, the lack of, I just didn't suffer anymore. You know, I didn't um, hold on to resentment anymore. I wasn't as angry. I learned how to come from a place of love and peace as opposed to anger, needing to win, needing to be right in this competition mode all the time. And I remember as I was coming out with the book, The Mask of Masculinity, and starting to like do talks around the country and stuff about it, I would get a a couple hundred people to show up to an event. And it's typically been about half men and half women that were showing up. And at one point in my you know talk or q a i would say for all the women in the room raise your hand if once a week you get together with one two or three girlfriends and you talk about your insecurities you talk about your fears your uh, body body issue challenges your marriage issue whatever it may be your concerns your shames your fears like how many of you do this at least once a week raise your hand all the women raise their hand at least once a week and i go keep your hand up if you do this every day you're calling a girlfriend you're having lunch a tea whatever and you're talking about the insecurities or the shame or the fears and most of them are like yes every day and then i go okay for the men in the room raise your hand if once a month you get together with a good guy friend and you talk about your insecurities and your fears and your doubts and your your body issues and your concerns with your relationship we're on a vulnerable level not of like a complaining level and maybe two or three guys would raise their hand maybe and i would ask them are you guys part of a church group that like gets to has to schedule it to get together for like a group of men to feel safe to talk about things they're like yes most of them and i said 
And then most of the men never shared anything with any other men. And I said, ladies, imagine for a moment that in one year you never shared how you felt. You never shared how you felt about your shame, your insecurities, your fears, your doubts. How would that make you feel? And they were all like, I'd go crazy. I'd be, you know, I'd be, I don't know, I'd react, I'd do this. And I go, imagine if you spent a lifetime never sharing, because this is what a lot of men end up doing. They never share. They die with these shame inside of them. And um, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying what they what they do is justified. I'm not saying that their anger in certain moments is is not acceptable. None of these things yeah. are okay. But just yeah. imagine and have some perspective. If you spent a year, 10 years, 20 years, never sharing how you felt and you know, I'm not saying like men are the victim in this mind, in this way, or that um, it's just been it's just how men have been shaped and been re- treated when they try to be vulnerable, when they try to express themselves like I did as a kid and as a teenager. When I tried to show affection and, and share how I was feeling and cry, I would get shamed. I would get laughed at. I would get pushed away and say, "Don't be a faggot. Don't be gay. Don't be a girl." Whatever word they would use, yeah, to make to make me feel like I was wrong. And then, in you know, in general, men will put on a mask to say, "Okay, I don't want to be shamed for sharing my emotions. So let me put on the masculine mask. Let me put on the stoic mask. Let me put on the Joker mask and be the funny guy. Let me put on the daredevil mask. Whatever it might be, let me put on the thing that works for me, that gets me the most attention and the most validation. I was the athlete mask. I was like, let me put this on because I'm getting validation. That's right. And um, it's, you know, we just get conditioned that way. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying that's is what has happened for most men. And men really struggle in the sense that more men are in, in prison. More men are committing crimes. More men are committing suicide. More men are taking drugs. That's right. And with all the research I've done, I'm still not an expert because I still have a lot of research to do. But with all the research I've done and my hypothesis is that if any human being didn't feel like they could express themselves in a yeah. safe environment where they could be heard, seen, and acknowledged, it would drive them a little crazy, yeah. reactive, angry, resentful, and build up walls and mass. And, you know, therapy is a powerful thing for human yeah. beings. And when we can break the stigma more and more, and I think we're doing that a lot with Talkspace and all these different platforms and Michael Phelps being an advocate and all that stuff. Kevin Love talking about it. It's like when we're being more advocates for these things, men can have a safe space to then share their emotions and heal trauma from the past and make better decisions in the present. And I think that's where the direction of our life needs to go as humanity for men having the ability to be acceptable to do these things. And, uh, and I think it's, we get mixed emotion, we get mixed signals from sometimes from women as well of like, I wish you were, you know, I hear this from men all the time. They say like, my wife, you know, my wives tell me, I wish, you know, after 10, 20 years, I wish he was more vulnerable. I wish he was more sensitive. I wish he would show like this affection. I wish he would cry when he felt something. I hear this from men sometimes. And then they say, you know what, Lewis, I'm going to get the courage to share how I really feel. And I'm going to be emotional and I'm going to, I'm going to cry once in a while. And then they do it. And, and then the women are turned off. They're like, well, I need you to be safe. I need you to be the place where I can be. You're strong. And I need you to go here where I can, 
you know, or I can cry and we can't both cry at the same time. <laughs> and then, and then men will say, so I'll never do it again because it's a turnoff for her. It, it whatever. So they said they want one thing, but then when I do it, it doesn't work. That's right. So there's gotta be a, a communication for all humanity to be acceptable. And uh, I, I shared a long story and journey and kind of sharing some topics here, but it's a, it's a constant progress, pro progress that we need to take for men to take ownership of their communication, their actions, their, their everything, and for women to be able to allow men without shaming them or being turned off by them being more sensitive and vulnerable. That's right. You know, I, first of all, thank you. And I, everything you just talked about right there was a, a replay of me reading the book, but also uh, when I first heard you tell your story, um, it, it resonated with me <clears throat> for some reason. And I was like, why is the story resonating with me so much? And I was doing workshops with men all over the country and um, they were called taking off the mask. And it was a place where men could make this mask and they could talk about what they normally didn't get to talk about. And a man in a session right after I read your book, he talked about his childhood abuse and it, 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 it hit me again. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Why is this like smacking me again? And literally that next morning, uh, right after that workshop, I was like, why is this man still kind of resonating in my mind? It was like, oh, yeah, that's me, too. Mm. And I think that the hardest part was that, uh, you know, I had forgotten. So I had like somehow been able to put it into a place in my my existence that that not me. Right. Until it, it comes back and you're like, oh, my goodness. Wait. And then all of the flood of like. I have to die with this, right? Like, I yeah. wait a minute. I, this, wait a minute. Like, how do you, how do you talk about this? And and really having the courage from you and from that man in that circle who had, I hadn't, he hadn't read your book, but in that things were happening in that time period. Yeah. Of, it was just like Shanti, your journey is part of your journey, yeah. and I think I'm still just in the early stages of being able to talk about it. And I think what we what I see with young men because most of our work is just on the documentary, the mask you live in. It was just, how do we give them a place just to be human? Yeah. And to say that I see you for more than just a student of math, or I see you as more than just a an student athlete, at the school, yeah. an athlete, a person who's supposed to, have to be funny and have all the answers and have all of the phone numbers and be all the charismatic. Yeah. But what, what happens when you don't think anybody sees you when you're falling apart? Mm -hmm. And to know that I see you and I'm here to hold space for you if you want that. And when other young men can come together and they can all see together, wow, wait, we're all, we're all going through stuff. Like, how is yeah. that possible? I thought you all, I thought everybody here was perfect. Figured it out, I, yeah. <laughs> and and then they realize that they're yeah, not man. alone. It's a crazy, it's a, it's crazy to think that so many men have never opened up or shared their shame or been vulnerable or shared their insecurities to anyone. It's yeah. crazy to think that. And as again, as I started to do this work, you know, in the last seven years now and typically and like three years ago when i when the book came out and it was kind of a crazy time when the book came out i wasn't timing this but like me too came out right in the middle of it and then yeah. you know charlottesville and like the marching with the torches and all this and i was just like what is going on in the world and it was also like the vegas shooting and there's so many different shootings happening in america yeah. and i was like huh the common thread of all these anger acts that are happening in in the country that i was witnessing and the world 
where men were leading the charge. It was like angry men. And I was just, could, I could see it from a different perspective because I could see myself being angry a lot when I was triggered in high school, college, or in my late 20s. Like I was always a loving, positive guy until I was triggered by someone where it was typically where I felt like someone was taking advantage of me. And I didn't even know why I was so triggered, but it was like, if someone cut me off in a street, I remember someone cut me off. This is literally crazy to see this story. <laughs> someone was running in front of me. Like I, I stopped at a stop sign and then someone ran in front of me and hit my car and like kind of cut me off. He was like running by and he punched the car. I literally chased after him in my car then got out and started running because I was such a reactive mind. That I was like, this person is taking advantage of me. They're abusing my car and therefore abusing me. And through childhood traumas of just like feeling taken advantage of and abused all the time, I was so wired to never let that happen again. And when someone would talk trash in a basketball game, I would like step to them and be like pushing them and I'd be screaming. I'd be like, what is wrong with me? This is just a friendly pickup game. You know, it's like, what is, what's my problem? But I didn't think I had a problem. I was just like, this is who I am. Like, who cares? And I remember I finally had an awakening where a lot of things were happening wrong. Based, and I was the common denominator. I was like, why is this not working? Why is this not working? I was like, this person, and I was like, no, it's it's all because of me. And that's when I started to, to tap into like, okay, let me look and see what's wrong with me or how I can improve and what I need yeah. to reflect on because I was never reflecting on that. And um, yeah, when I went, so in the middle of this launch of, of the book and everything, I was just like, wow, that I could finally reflect on why men take these actions, why men beat their wives, why men are uh, racially divisive, why men are politically divisive, why men lash out in certain ways verbally, why men start fights physically, why men are shooting people. Like I can't, I can't understand it, but I can reflect on it and uh, understand in some ways of, of why. And I'm like, okay, men are doing these acts. You don't see women doing these acts of, right, right. to that extent, right? Maybe there's a rare case here and there, but you don't see it that big. And I go back to asking women, if you could never share your shame, your insecurities, if you didn't feel like you had one female friend that you could right. open up to, how would you react? I'm not saying I'm justifying any of these things. I'm not saying anything that they're doing is okay, but just yeah. could you understand? the explosion that someone might have, the reactive that someone might have. And I think the stat is like 54% of men say they don't have one male friend they can open up to or something like that. You probably know some of these stats more than me, but it's a, there's something that needs to change with the uh, men feeling safe to be able to share. That's right. And I think if men could share their shame and insecurities and have friendships they would feel a lot less angry, reactive, triggered, uh, and they would be more collaborative as opposed to competitive in all areas of life. Yeah, you know, um, there's a book by Mark Brackett. Uh, he's from the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, and he talks about uh, emotions undealt with, unexpressed emotions uh, will pile up like a debt that will eventually come due. Ooh. And it's like, okay, if you ever had a debt, somebody coming after you, a phone or whatever it may be, 
Like they're coming at some point. You may be thinking that they were forgot for a while. That emotion, you just hide it away, okay, man. And, it, and it's gonna come due. And we see with our young men all the time. We, you know, our, our jails are full of men. Our jails are ninety four percent men, which wow. either statistically says men are bad, or we taught men things and they're boys. Don't show no feelings. Suck it up. Man up. Don't be wussy. Don't be a sissy. Don't be whatever other name they, mm-hmm. the community that you lived in. And then we confuse as to how they can do absolutely horrible behaviors and not show any feelings about it. Yeah. Because we, we almost like trained it out of them. And then, we, you know, we'll see moments and videos of them like in a therapy session and they won't even open up in therapy. You know, it's like they just keep it closed or men that go to AA meetings, they like never share. It takes forever it almost like you need to see everyone else open up first before you're like, oh, wow, everyone's being vulnerable. Now I feel comfortable to finally share just a little bit of how I feel. Not everything because I'm not ready to open up. Like men are never ready to share because yeah. we're so afraid of how it's going to affect us. We're so afraid that we're not going to be accepted, loved, heard, or seen in the future. At least that was for me that I was just like, if anyone knew this about me, no one would love me. And I'll be alone forever and I'll die alone. It's like the ultimate fear. We're going to die alone and no one's going to care about us. And it's maybe it's probably irrational. It's probably crazy, all these things. But this is how our brains and our emotions are wired as human beings. Yeah. And I think um, the more we see images on the media, the more we see uh, certain leaders leading this way, the more we see it in our own personal life. If it's just one yeah. buddy or one person that we, we want to hang out with who's saying, don't be this, don't be that. You look stupid. Like it affects us that's right. and it affects us for a long time. Cause that's when we start building the mask to fit in. And yeah. uh, man, it's, it's crazy, but it's, and, it's, and, and, it's a lot of work unwiring those absolutely. emotions for men. And, absolutely. Uh, and I think, and I think, women and other men hold men so high to be like, Oh, you just need to like have it figured out. It's like, you've got to allow for men. We're just human beings trying to figure out life. You got, you got to allow for healing to happen. That's right. And imagine, I mean, you were interviewing people, hundreds of professionals and high class athletes and professionals, entrepreneurs who you probably were interviewing them and seeing that, you know, like they would, they would get to a place in their conversation where they would, you would say that there's probably more going on. Absolutely. But, but, maybe, but maybe they were clear about their own yeah. box that they had to be in, right? So they were like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you know, and and to know what you were going through yourself. So you probably had a really good question to ask them yes. knowing that. And it's funny. Once you go through your own kind of healing journey, which I think you we're always going to be healing from something. So it's not like I'm complete. It's always an evolution of reflection and healing and evolving. But I can just feel the pain on other men more and i can see it clearer now it's like once you've reflected on your own challenges and insecurities and defects and you started to take accountability and responsibility and 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 find the steps to heal the past and then move forward you can start to feel it and be more intuitive with other men um and and hopefully be able to hold space without shaming other men because we want to break the pattern of shaming other men from the, the, the pattern that we lived in that's right well, man, this has been so beautiful. So, you know, one of the things that we we set up this uh, conversation with is an opportunity to to express and to create a mask. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe I think it's a good time for us to do it now. Maybe it. so. Uh, the way uh, for those who have not seen our, the mask, so uh, the, from the documentary, the mask you live in came out. We had an activity 
with young men and a group of young men in a circle who had never opened up. They had always come to the session for food. And when we got to the talk about real Hold stuff, <laughs> everybody's a 10. We do a yeah, scale yeah. from one to Pizza. 10, everybody's a 10. <laughs> and, and when they were like, we want to film you, I said, well, you probably don't want to film this club because these young men don't open up. And they were like, well, at least we could see them resisting. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you want to see resistance. Yeah. Um, but deep down, I knew that it wasn't going to be no effective. If, they, if everyone goes around the circle and says they're a 10, I know they're not because as a dean that year, they're in my office all the time. <laughs> and I knew that there was way more going on, but I couldn't These tell. These were high stuff. school students, right? High or school, was, yeah. 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 What, high school, young men. what city was this? It was Oakland, Oakland, yeah, yeah, Oakland yeah. California. My alma mater is at Fremont High School. And yeah. I knew that if, how can I get them to talk about it without talking about it? And so we created the idea of the mask, which is a tool that we use. So this mm-hmm. is a blank one. We're going to, uh, we, we both created one. And mm-hmm. the way it works is on the left side, it says front of mask. Oh, I just showed you here again. Yeah. On the left side, it says front of mask. On the right side, it says back of mask. And then the front of mask is just like, what we let people see. What is the things that we gladly let people see? And then we think of the back of the mask as stuff that we normally don't let people see. Right. And so uh, we've, we've gone through and done it, made it, made one. And uh, I think uh, we, we've done it a lot of different ways. So what, what would you like to do first? Would you like to just uh, go one at a time? You do the front and then I do the front? What feels do that? Yeah, yeah, you? I'll do that. Okay. Here's so my, the front is the, the front of the mask. What do we gladly let people see? Here's my front. My front is loving, playful, successful. So awesome. I'm, a, I'm a loving, happy guy. I'm playful. I like to, you know, play games and joke around and just, you know, have fun and smile a lot. And I like to show people that I'm successful and driven and motivated and things like that. Nice. Um, mine. You know, mine is a. Uh, serious, hardworking, and funny. All right. Um, I I take things a, a, <laughs> probably sometimes too serious, but I'm very serious about my work and about this program and about uh, I'm really hardworking. I'm dedicated and hardworking. Um, and I try and be funny. I try and keep yeah. things light and sure. easy. Um, so those are my three Good. on the front. I, I made my mask as a uh, coronavirus <laughs> mask too. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got, I got, I got my bandanas around here. I got all my, all exactly. different types that I've created. Exactly. Um, and in the back, the words of the back for me uh, are, are stupid, not enough, and trauma. Mm. So what, what I don't want people to see that I'm, that I'm not smart, that I don't have the answers. You know, being in special needs classes my entire childhood, all the way through college, was very insecure about my learning uh, abilities. Uh, that I was never enough because of I was ignorant and stupid that I was never going to be enough and um, trauma. I was always hiding the trauma that I didn't want people to see. And um, I, you know, personally now I feel like I'm, I'm, and I think the more I share, it's like, it has no power over me anymore or has little less and less power. Let's say it's not always going to be a healing journey, but um, it's less and less power. And it's like, I take responsibility. I'm like, you know what? I struggled in school my whole life. And this is why I asked dumb questions on my show. And I asked the questions that I used to get laughed at in school for, but really like people want to know these things. And so I've been able to build something because of my insecurities 
And I think when we embrace those insecurities and lean into it, then it doesn't have power over us. So yeah. anyway, I'll let you share your oh, back. Thank you. That was beautiful. Um, so like, so fear of failure, uh, sadness about death and trauma. And I think, um, the fear of failure is, I think one of the reasons I worked so hard, I think, uh, I found myself overdoing it this summer. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, we've been, we, I, I, yeah, just overdoing it. Like I, I didn't have the capacity really to have an internship program with young men, but I had some young men who were going to be sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, I can't just watch them doing nothing all summer. So I'll put on this little internship program. But because I take it so serious, <laughs> I can't half do it. So mm -hmm. then I'm using energy that I really don't have. Right. And I you're working, you're working your butt off and you're, you're getting depleted and exhausted. I was beyond depleted. I, was, I, I still am trying to just rest and recover. It just ended last Friday. So my brain finally was like, okay, now <laughs> like, okay, I can relax. Now, <laughs> now I can try and recover before yeah. I can relax. I got to get back to get back to. And I think of like the, the sadness about death, you know, um, we lost one of our young men to COVID. Um, really? In he, was, high school? He, was, he was 28. He was actually 28. Wow, wow. He was, he's one of our alumni. So wow. that has uh, been hard, you know, cause I don't like, I don't like to talk about death. I don't like to even deal with it. <laughs> so I know it's part yeah. of life. And trying to like, you know, be supportive of his family, and he, you know, he was with our program from high school all the way through. So when once you're part of Ever Forward, you're kind of always a part of the the family, right? Of course. And so that's been hard. And then the last wow. one was trauma, and, and just getting to a place where I'm finally able to start talking about it and like let take the power away from it, mm -hmm. the power of it away. What's the thing you've been afraid to share your whole life? Yeah, I think that. Being eight years old and being feeling like I was supposed to be the man of the house. You know, my father died before I was born, so I was the man of the house. And when I you were the oldest, that, I was the oldest. Yeah, wow. I was the oldest. So taking care of my siblings, and I think that that when I went to that camp and that 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 night that thing happened to me at that camp, my I was like I said, whatever happened that next morning, I was able to block it out for so many years. Um, that's been the big one. And I think that, I think that how do you, if you're the man of the house, how do you let somebody take advantage of you? Right. How do you yeah. let somebody do something to you like that? And I think that that has been the journey of, wow. of me and just trying to, the work I do with young men and knowing that I want them to, I know I can, I see them. I see more than just what you, what you let people see on the outside. Sure. And to be able to, I think the work that we've been able to do and these masks, when we, when we first started doing this, it was when it was that first day that it worked, I was like, wow, oh, man, that's what it is. That's what it's, it's, it's what's been happening. All the they wouldn't share how they're feeling, but if you create a visual and say, what do you let people see? And then what are a few things that you don't let people see? And they, and they don't have to talk about it. They never, they didn't have, what we did right now was much more vulnerable than they were asked to do. They just put it up they, there and people just looked at it and that was it. They, they actually threw pieces of paper at each other. And then when they picked up one, it was somebody, they didn't know whose it was. It was oh, like, really? So there wasn't them actually revealing it or what they are. Wow. That's right. They just randomly picked up one up and it was like, oh man, whose is this? And because it's somebody in that room. Would somebody, somebody know this is me or is it no? No, that they know. I mean, it literally, once they started reading the mouth, it, you just saw, you saw the room just drop in and wow. they recognized that 
oh man. And then just, just energy in the room just took a place where they recognize I'm not alone. Like I thought that everybody else in here was perfect, but there were people going through the same stuff that I'm going through. And and that's what we've been able to do. We, we collected over 45,000 masks from 16 wow. different countries. And what we've been asking people to do when they're willing. And most times, you know, when we ask people to hear to just be willing to be a little vulnerable, you know, sure. most of the people, they submit them online. So we don't know who they are. But what they do get to see is that people from their same city, their same age group, same gender. Yeah. Um, they're Wow. We're, we're all going through similar stuff. What are the three most common things that people project in front and the three uh, back of the mass that are the most common, you say? I said, if I was in high school, when we've done some data around high schools, high school, the first, funny, happy, and like if it's a very high athletic school, you'll see athletic. If yeah. you see some more, you know, brainy, like a private Smart, you know, yeah. school, they're like intelligence. Uh-huh. Um, and the back, usually the top three or five, stress, um, fear, sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we see different grade levels, you see freshmen come in with a lot of fear. And then when they get to higher senior level, they're more like uh, more anxiety, right? Because they're, they're in that college phase, right? Yeah. So they're, they're depending on the type of schools. but And, we, and we're and we still in the early stages of kind of looking at the, the data that comes out of it. Sure. But what we see with adults, too, we see adults that they sometimes think that they're not wearing a mask, mm-hmm. especially teachers, right? And my work with teachers is to help teachers recognize like our students aren't the only one wearing masks. We're doing it too. Whether we're high behind the subject that we teach, I'm an expert at this subject. Yes. And therefore I may never make any mistakes. <laughs> I'm perfect. I was a perfect student when I was a student. Right. So therefore how, how dare you not be a perfect student? Right, so if they forget. So we see that teachers sometimes, and the parents too, parents are like, hey, I, I want to protect my kid from all the problems I went through. So I'm going to make sure I, make sure they don't mess up like I messed up. Mm-hmm. And then it, Protected the kids and are so protected from trying to live their own life that they they mess they don't know that their parents can make mistakes. So how do they know how to handle errors and challenges in life? Sure. Yeah, so we see it happen in so many different ways. And, and with masks that we've seen that we've we've collected, um, we get when people get to recognize that they're not the only ones. Like when they recognize that wow, there are other people going through similar things, but no one is talking about it because everyone has been taught that the mask is how you have to survive or how you have to get along or how you have to make people. Sure. Uh, to connect, fit in. You, know? you got to fit, to fit in. in. Have people like you. That's right. That's you right. Don't want to be alone and die. You know, it's like, it's our greatest fear is like no one liking us and being alone. <laughs> and definitely in, in school today, right? With uh, most students have learning from so far away. Right. So now there's no, there's no, there's a lack of connection already. Yeah. And everyone's, now we're, everyone's connected online, but completely disconnected at the same time. It's like, that's right. It's crazy. That's right. Well, you know, uh, thank you. First of all, thank you for being a part of this, uh, taking off the mass experience. Um, of course. I, you know, I, I wanted to like give you time right now to tell people what you're up to now. Like, what are you, sure. I know you've got the school of greatness, but anything other yeah. projects that you're working on and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, School of Greatness is my main thing where I'm constantly looking to interview the greatest minds, athletes, and get them to share and reveal things that they typically wouldn't share. Um, you know, we had Kobe Bryant on uh, a couple of years ago, and he was talking about love and intimacy and relationships. And 
uh, things like that. And for me, I'm always trying to get to the heart and the root of, of people's lives and what makes them great and the great challenges and adversities they've faced. And usually the ones that who have achieved the greatest had some type of darkness they had to overcome at different stages of their life. And I just want to tap into that and figure out what they did, what were the tools to overcome the shame, the trauma, the anger, the frustration, the loneliness, sadness, depression, to go beyond that and allow their potential to come out into their greatest self. So that's what we're excited about in the School of Greatness. But um, I'm a, you know, when I wrote The Mask of Masculinity, I remember I was, I started doing my own journey and uh, seven years ago of, of healing and things like that. And I'd written another book called the school of greatness that was a New York Times bestseller and did well. And then my agent and publisher were like, let's do a business book next. And for whatever reason, the more I was talking about my trauma publicly, cause I eventually started opening up on my podcast and online. And I wrote an article about what being raped taught me, uh, as a young boy, what it taught me. And it was one of the most, viral articles I've ever done. Cause I think a lot of men had never seen another man that looked, you know, looked like me open up about that, this kind of jock looking guy. Yeah. And, um, I just, for whatever reason, I was like, man, this work is important. And I didn't know people were talking about this stuff, but I was just like, I think my next book needs to be about this and it may not be this big hit or whatever, but it's like a mission to help men start to heal and to help give women tools to support the men in their lives. Yeah. And so as I started telling people and researching about this book and writing this proposal, people were like, oh, you got to watch this documentary, you know, Mask of Living and all this stuff. And I was like, I never heard of this thing, but I watched it and I go, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The mask of masculinity. I was like, this is what I have. So and then and I was telling people like my title is going to be called The Mask of Masculinity. And when I was watching the documentary, I was like someone, some psychologist or someone who's like, you know, these masks of masculinity. He was like, that's the title of music. So <laughs> I was like, I was glad to know that there were other people talking about this in the world. And I was glad to see you were part of it. And and so this is a big part of my mission is to help men heal. Even though it's not my main focus at the moment, it's like, you know, I'm putting my work out there in my book and I'm interviews to try to get that out there as well. So, but you're yeah. doing a great job of really, you know, being the champion of this mission and, um, uh, it's amazing, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on our show. And yeah, this is new for us. And we're still like at early stages. And we're so thankful for you taking time out of, of your man. busy schedule. And, you know, I think, uh, is there one message you would say to young men? Uh, I guess, like, you know, for, for our primary work is with young men, middle school and high school. But is there a, a positive word that you would yeah, to young men all around the world who are just trying to figure out how to be more than self. I would say you're not alone. And there are a lot of other boys your age and men that you admire who are older, who have gone through similar challenges as you and uh, who've had to overcome the same type of adversity. So first, be aware that you're not alone. Even if it looks like everyone around you has got it figured out, they don't. Uh, the second thing I would say is don't beat yourself up. You've already been beating yourself up for so long beating yourself up does not allow you to become a greater version of yourself but actually saying kind things to yourself internally having some type of positive self-talk internally is what you need you need to be the greatest cheerleader for yourself especially when other people are making fun of you or picking on you you've got to be a cheerleader and it doesn't matter if 
the world believes in you. If everyone sees your potential and sees how great you could be, if you constantly beat yourself up and say you're not good enough, you're yeah. never going to be able to get there with a level of joy and fulfillment that you want. And also the opposite, it doesn't matter if everyone is picking on you, if everyone is against you, if everyone's making fun of you, it only takes one person to believe that you can become a better individual and achieve greatness. And that's you. It doesn't matter who says you can't do something. If you believe, then you can. So start training your thoughts and having a yeah. practice of, hey, I'm just going to be kinder to my inner thoughts. I'm going to say kind things about myself because we need more men being cheerleaders in a positive way as opposed to beating themselves up in a negative way. Yeah. Man, that is perfect. I so appreciate you, Lewis Howes. Thank you for your time. And we look forward to learning more about the work that you're doing. And thank you for supporting our work. And so appreciate it. Of course, appreciate it. Right on.